This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcasting every Tuesday morning, 8 to 9, Pacific Time on KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. Tax cuts that produce huge budget deficits, an ill-conceived war that has sapped America's ability to defend, to defend itself, the quiet evisceration of laws that protect public health, safety, and the environment. After six years of virtually absolute conservative rule, the results of nearly every right-wing policy program and initiative can be summed up in a single word, failure. In his new book, The Conservatives Have No Clothes, our guest today, Greg Anrig reveals point by point how and why the conservative agenda produces terrible government. Anrig is vice president of programs at the Century Foundation and former Washington correspondent for Money Magazine. He has written online for the American Prospect and Mother Jones and is a regular contributor to the liber- liberal blog TAPM Cafe. Greg Anrig, welcome to Weekly Signals. Thank you, Nathan. Glad to be here. How are you doing today? Great. Terrific. Good. Are you in, in New York? Is that where we're reaching? I now? am in cold, wet New York City. Yeah, ah, it's cold and wet today. <laughs> <That's> a, <laughs> yeah, very, very good. Now, is there a root cause for the failure of so many of these conservative ideas, or are they just incompetent? No, I, I really believe that the incompetence doesn't capture uh, what's been going on uh, in recent years. It really uh, goes back, I think, to the premise Ronald Reagan had, uh, which is that government is the problem, not the solution. That mindset really uh, underlies a great deal of what the conservative agenda is about, and it's no surprise that when you have uh, people in power running the government who don't believe in government, that you have ultimately had uh, uh, one failure after another. So I think it's, it's much more systematic and fundamental than a matter of uh, uh, people just not being uh, capable. So, so they're pre-programmed to want to take the government down, essentially. Well, for example, you know, one of the main themes of the conservative movement is that civil servants, people who work for the government, are, are inherently incompetent, stubborn, unable to do anything right. Uh, and so if you're put in a position where you're managing people, as you are when you were elected to public office, who you believe to be inherently uh, incompetent, um, you uh, will do things that doesn't, don't lead to them succeeding. Uh, and, and a big part of the, uh, the right-wing agenda has been to farm out work uh, to the private sector, keep the government employees out of it. Uh, and uh, as we've seen again and again, whether it's uh, related to FEMA, whether it's related to uh, Blackwater or Halliburton, that contracting out government work with public money without having uh, adequate oversight of how that money is spent, oversight that needs to be done by public employees, uh, you just have enormous waste uh, uh, and fraud. And uh, that is a direct consequence of the conservative belief system. And indeed, the whole idea of privatizing uh, government work is one of the main uh, ways they said they would make government more efficient. And what we've seen is uh, exactly the opposite. Now, that was oversight, the key word there? I think it is with respect to any situation where you're, you're using public funds 
uh, and uh, and paying contractors in one way or another. You need to have somebody in the government who's making sure that the money's not being uh, used for uh, you know personal purposes or, or and is being used for what it's supposed to be used for. And that's been the heart of what's gone wrong, I think, with all the examples of uh, privatization in, in the in the re- in recent years at the federal level, uh, because you haven't had anybody in the government really paying any attention to what's going on, and that's by design. It's been by design. This this goes to something that I have has been sort of my pet uh, peeve, if you will. The, the thing that I, that is the sort of the I'll put this in quotes. The genius of this uh, this radical agenda has been to put people in charge of the government who vilify and revile what the government is is about, what it's trying to accomplish. By putting these people in charge, you can then legitimately make the argument that government is a failure mm-hmm. because you have managed it to fail. Yep, and it, reinf- it continues to reinforce this notion that they are so fond of is that government is incompetent, or worse. That's exactly what any number of conservative commentators said after Hurricane Katrina. Uh, David Brooks in the New York Times, uh, mm-hmm. David Boaz at the Cato Institute, they said, this just shows what we've said all along, government can't do anything right. right. And it's, uh, you know, I, I tell the story of FEMA's history in, in some detail in the book, because, in fact, in the 1990s, under Bill Clinton and the head of FEMA, uh, James Lee Witt, it was reformed in ways that both Democrats and Republicans in Congress were saying, demonstrated uh, that an agency can be turned around, and, and, and FEMA was being identified at the time as a model agency, that it actually was very effective at responding to, uh, to natural disasters uh, in different locations around the country. And it was a consequence of good management, and it was a consequence of promoting to managerial positions those very civil servants that the right wing complains about uh, into positions uh, where they could uh, do the job, people who actually have experience with emergency management and knowledge about how to deal with, uh, with those situations. So, you know, we, gov- government isn't perfect uh, historically. Uh, obviously, the, uh, the right wing got a lot of mileage out of harping on, on uh, previous failures. But at the same time, it has demonstrated the capacity to be reformed, but only when the people in power believe in government, that they think it can, it can actually do something right and actually uh, lead those, those people who work for the government to, to be effective. So uh, you, what you're saying is exactly right, that the uh, right just has used the, the failures of, uh, of the Bush administration as a way of saying, well, see, this is what we told you all along. It just reaffirms what we've been saying. Yeah. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, it's insidious. I, and uh, hopefully, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that, that people will start to, to figure this out. Well, and hopefully the book will have uh, have an impact on that. Well, I want to remind our listeners of speaking with Greg Enrich, and the book is The Conservatives Have No Clothes, Why Right-Wing Ideas Keep Failing. I want to go back real, you know, I want to go back to what I consider sort of the touchstone of this modern, and I'm, not, I, you know, I'm hesitant to call this conservative. Uh, peop, these people conservatives, they're radicals to me, and I don't know exactly you know, where I... Uh, but it, well, what it, do you it, think about that? Let's it, slow yeah, down a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there something to uh, what Mike is saying that uh, are these really conservatives? I know that a lot of people are backing away from George Bush right now and saying he's no conservative. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, the, that that word um, yeah. it creates a great deal of confusion, and you're right. Uh, you know, traditional conservatives, the the uh, the Edmund Burke, Michael Oakeshott philosophers were fundamentally opposed to change. That was their whole mindset, that they believed that 
uh, anything that was done that would would change things rapidly uh, would potentially uh, uproot institutions that were established and undermine uh, societies. And so, their whole the whole traditional mindset of conservatism related to resisting change. The as you're suggesting, the modern conservative movement isn't at all about resisting change. In fact, it really has promoted quite radical change, and the focal point of the modern conservative movement is hostility toward government. And that means we'll do anything it takes, however radical, to weaken the government's capacity to do things like uh, regulate businesses, uh, you know, to protect the environment, to uh, reduce discrimination, uh, health and safety regulations, and so forth. All those established laws and uh, realms where the government has been, in fact, quite successful over a long period of time, uh, if you were a traditional conservative, you'd want to sustain those things because they've, they've proven to work and you don't want to change things that work. But modern conservatism is about hostility to government, and it means let's roll all those things back, uh, do whatever it takes to get rid of, say, Social Security, the public school system, things that we consider to be kind of bedrock uh, elements of our society. They're deeply opposed to those things because they involve government. And so that's, you're right, and now you're saying, as, as, as now you're hearing, as you're suggesting, well, George Bush isn't a true conservative, but he followed quite closely the modern conservative movement's agenda. Cutting taxes, for example, was a staple and continues to be a staple of what the modern conservative movement continues to push for. The war in Iraq was something that the Weekly Standard and Bill Crystal and all these uh, sort of big name uh, members of the, the movement uh, were, were pushing for, reducing, again, these regulations, environmental, public health and safety regulations, which have uh, largely occurred under the radar screen uh, in the Bush administration. Those are all big fundamental agenda items for the conservative movement. So he most definitely is a conservative in, in the sense of, of modern conservatism, and indeed his failures are attributable to that conservative mindset, that, that movement conservative mindset. So yeah, I, I, to, to try to clarify the distinction, uh, I, I use the term movement conservatism because it relates to this uh, uh, sort of post-1970 period of time where a lot of wealthy people put a lot of money into think tanks and so forth that were geared toward pushing this, this much more radical agenda that, that uh, we've been talking about. We're speaking with Greg Anrick, and the book is uh, the conservatives have no clothes. Why right-wing ideas keep failing? I have a kind of a two-parter here. Mm-hmm. Hang with me. First of all, does this hostility towards government, and it seems to be, uh, you know, sort of in the marrow of a lot of these um, people. But it really comes to me. It kind of comes from the uh, the well-heeled, the the wealthy here, who are looking for the opportunity to transfer public funds into private enterprise. Essentially, as I've heard put it use the government to socialize cost and privatize profit. And that seems to be, it's a, to me, a cynical manipulation of the American people in the guise of a so-called philosophy. It's really about it. It's about a, a lot of it has to do with a, a money grab. Would that... Yes. I, I mean, I, I, if you look at the, the individuals who invested, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in places like the Heritage Foundation and the Cato Institute and the Manhattan Institute and the Reason Foundation, all these places, uh, as well as 
uh, advocacy groups uh, that people like Rover Norquist run, as well as media outlets, the, the talk radio, uh, right-wing talk radio um, that, that you know, is so prevalent in our society. Those the, the, the sources of money for those places is are very, very wealthy families who, uh, to a large extent, had inherited wealth, but they also are run businesses of one sort or another, and they hated regulations. That was their, their main uh, uh, source of hostility uh, coupled with taxes. And so they really were behind the movement. But they also recognized when they were creating these think tanks that, Politicians can't win on a platform of, I'm going to uh, cut environmental regulations, I'm going to cut uh, the Food and Drug, Drug Administration's capabilities, I'm going to reduce taxes for the rich, uh, and leave it at that. Um, so what these institutions were very effective at was creating these ideas and pitching them in a way that sounded as though they'd make everybody better off. Right. Uh, so, for example, Social Security privatization was uh, marketed as a way of actually enabling people to have more money uh, and, 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 and profit from the stock market and do better than they would with uh, the current Social Security system. When you do the math, when you really look closely at, at, uh, at how the program works and what they're proposing, it, it quite evidently was the case that, no, this would greatly weaken the retirement security of people, but it would su- serve the ends of these wealthy uh, uh, yeah. fi- founders of conservatism by cutting Social Security, which, as you're suggesting, really is a roundabout way of their being able to uh, uh, keep more of their own wealth. Yeah. So. Oh, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, I, and and I'll just this, the second part of this goes back. To, uh, the question that I want to ask is: It seems to me the sort of holy the Rosetta Stone of this movement was the Ronald Reagan administration, and and so many uh, all the things that uh, Reagan, by commission or omission, allowed or ha- or initiated. Have have borne the fruits of what we're talking about here today is this bankruptcy in 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 terms of conservative ideals, so-called conservative ideals, and the consequences of it. I remember Reagan one time saying that he was opposed to uh, seatbelt regulations because people should have the freedom to what to fly through their front for the, through their windshield, and so. And but this kind of goes to that philosophy. But it, would you? What do you think about the Reagan administration and all that? Well, I agree with you. Uh, there's a difference between Reagan. And Bush, though the current Bush, in that Reagan at least governed uh, to a partial extent as a pragmatist, in that uh, you know he initially cut taxes uh, significantly, but then when it was becoming clear that uh, that the deficits were going to go through the roof, he raised them a couple of times. Um, he called the Soviet Union an evil empire when he first came into office, but by the end of his uh, second term, he was, uh, you know, working with Gorbachev and trying to uh, cut nuclear weapons. So he was much more, um, even though I, there's no question, the whole set of arguments that he made, uh, you know, you know, when he was campaigning for the presidency, and he, and even during much of the period of time he was in office, were all all the kind, same kinds of things that you continue to hear today. But in contrast to Bush, he at least pulled back when he saw some degree of political damage being done. Uh, Bush just keeps plunging forward with the same agenda. The tax cuts don't stop. Um, you know, we've, we've had an unsuccessful 
uh, invasion of Iraq, and now we're starting to talk about maybe doing the same thing in Iran. Uh, some conservatives are talking about doing the same thing in Pakistan. Uh, you you have this mindset of just unrestrained conservatism uh, with no sense of checks or balances. And and obviously, I think what's going on in Guantanamo, the, the, the bypassing of the Geneva Conventions is a much more uh, radical step than anything Reagan did, but it comes from that same uh, source. So you're, 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 you're seeing sort of that, that worldview that Reagan created and that, that people latched onto in, on the right. Uh, but now you've, in the Bush administration, have seen it carried out uh, in a way with much less restraint than Reagan showed, and we've seen the damage uh, of that. And I think that's, I think in a lot of senses, Bush is even more of a conservative than Reagan was, because Reagan at least backed off from some of those right-wing ideas uh, when he saw uh, the, the damage that was being done. Okay. Do you think that the uh, the concept of unitary executive, too, uh, that mm-hmm. Bush is pushing that much more forward than, than Reagan mm-hmm. ever did? Is that a... Yes, you know that's the um, you know I think the best way to define that concept is is the uh, what what Richard Nixon said after he left office and he was talking to David Frost and he said if the president does it that means it's not illegal and that what seemingly you know crazy point of view is something that the conservative movement Dick Cheney John Yoo a lot of people at the Federalist Society, which is another one of these conservative movement uh, think tanks, uh, has been pushing because if the president is conservative and does whatever he wants, that's the best way to get around government. You know, the, the rest of the government, the, the, the Democrats in Congress, the civil servants, and um, and one of the ways that's manifested itself has been Bush's decision to bypass the Geneva Conventions, uh, which he he attributed to, even though the Geneva Conventions have the force of law in the United States, he said we can make exceptions if need be because of the citation of the unitary executive concept, uh, which hasn't been affirmed by any, uh, any any significant courts, but is one that the right believes in. But that very directly led to the what we saw at Abu Ghraib uh, and, and the use of torture at other uh, American prisons. And, uh, and, you know, the consequences for our safety, which supposedly is a strength of the United States, of uh, the conservative movement, that, that the right will make us safer uh, and protect us against terrorism. Well, Abu Ghraib was disastrous from the standpoint of inflaming hostility toward us uh, in the Muslim world, but also uh, alienated our allies, much as the Iraq War did. So uh, we aren't safer now. Uh, you know, the, the, the conservatives uh, who were supposedly great at protecting Americans really have done enormous damage on that front. Well, well, I was going to say, I mean, and also, one other little, you know, factor in all that is, which is, it places anyone from the United States in harm's way, given that if we're not going to be adherents to the Geneva Convention, then why would any other government hostile to the United States or otherwise also be held by, to that standard? So it's it's just such a terrible precedent. And I did want to ask you, is there any active case winding its way through the court that will challenge uh, in a significant way the unitary authority, uh, so-called unitary authority of the president. Well, it's interesting because there actually was a case where the court quite explicitly, uh, and this was was an opinion actually written by Anthony Kennedy, uh, you know, about conservative justice, um, and he, he, uh, he directly took issue with the unitary executive uh, concept in the Hamden decision mm-hmm. and said, you know, there are very explicit laws 
this had more to do with the use of tribunals as opposed to torture, but it, w- it was yeah. another example where the, the president was claiming authority to, to bypass the existing laws, and he said, you know, there's, there are enormous precedents for, uh, even during wartime, for the president having to comply with situations where there's an explicit law, in this case, about how tribunals work, uh, and, and, and the, the administration lost that case. So here you have even a uh, you know, Republican appointee, uh, Anthony Kennedy, who often is associated with the right. And again, that's, he's basically using a more traditional, the, the traditional use of the term conservative. You know, we, we have to sustain our patterns of adhering to explicit laws, not just suddenly say we're going to drop all that stuff because of claims made by the current president that he doesn't want to do something. Well, and and okay, there's that. There's the signing statements. There's other things here that uh, that certainly need to be challenged. And I, I'm certainly I'm just hoping that someone were some somehow we're gonna we're gonna find a way to. Now, mm-hmm. if I were gonna say uh, why right wing ideas keep failing, if I were to say greed is one of the primary uh, uh, reasons, would that be correct? Yeah, I think in a sense, you know, it gets back to um, you know this this you know where, where's the money coming from that's enabled uh, the right to be so prosperous and to have its messages get out there um, so effectively. I mean, ultimately, that's that's uh, the, the the money explains an awful lot about this, but it's also I think you know I do think that there's a, a, a actual genuine belief that some people have that you know really things would be better if there were to be uh, less government. I mean, that message is something that, that resonates with some people. Okay. And I think that's why it has been important to really try to, to as I do in the book as much as I can, to really uh, lay out a lot of facts that really demonstrate that um, y- you need government to be effective uh, in, in, in a lot of circumstances where, uh, you know, in the absence of it, and you, where you just have markets functioning without any kind of rules or oversight, um, you end up having increases in pollution. You end up having uh, more problems with health and safety uh, on the job. Uh, The Consumer Product Safety Commission, for example, which has been decimated by uh, the conservatives, you know, we're having all these problems now with toys and products uh, going into the marketplace, some from China, but some manufactured here in the United States that are are killing people or hurting people in one way or another, and that's all unnecessary as well. So, um, I think you're right. The, 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 the sort of the financial incentives have a lot to do with why we're in the situation we're in now. Um, but I think there is partly a sense that that some people have is that that well things would be better without government, and it's important for them to see. Here's what happens when when you don't have yeah. government involved. We're talking with Greg Anrick, and the book is The Conservatives Have No Clothes, Why Right-Wing Ideas Keep Failing. I, I'm is, gonna, uh, go ahead, Mike. No, I just want to, real quick, because we're, we're kind of nibbling around the edges to me, in my mind, about this. We're talking, you're talking more like about stri- uh, about certain issues. I want to say, my, my take on this is, it's sort of militaristic terms, if the strategy is wrong, the strategic plan is wrong, then... No matter what your tactics are, you're going to fail. Uh, I, and and, and I, the reason I say that is we have a, a, a political party that is a strong advocate for virtually no government, and that's the libertarians, and they get virtually a, you know, a negligible amount in almost every election that they enter. Right. So it's not as if this is a, a wildly popular idea. It just seems to me that it's we've had packaged. some very, 
very effectively packaged as you put put in the book. It, and also, the levers of power in this country, as we've seen over the last six or seven years, are uh, are frighteningly easy to manipulate by a relatively small handful of people. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to go back to the original point here, which is their strategy, strategic thinking is wrong. So no matter what they do tactically, it's going to fail. That is the essence, I think. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I, uh, I liken it to a, a playbook. You know, for for a football game where uh, the playbook really has nothing but you know hail mary passes <laughs> yes. uh, or uh, you know sort of trickery involved. You know, playground kind yeah. of trickery uh, because it's there, there isn't anything um, there isn't any reason to think that those ideas are going to work and they not only have they failed in the Bush administration they failed again and again and again and again through history and, and indeed that's one of the problems is that these these conservative ideas aren't based on evidence they aren't based on uh, experience they're based on a belief system and so if Milton Friedman says well we'd be better off without public schools Give everybody a voucher, let them choose what school to go to, and everybody will be better off. That's just in the guy's head. And when you actually experiment with vouchers in the real world, as they have uh, in Milwaukee and Cleveland and some other locations, it turns out that doesn't work. Uh, and the, and uh, you, know, you don't get any better outcomes uh, using vouchers uh, than you would otherwise. And in some cases, you get worse outcomes. And that, again, invading Iraq, what, what historical basis was there for us to unilaterally decide we're going to go in and uh, invade another country and occupy it. Well, the history of of unilateral invasions and occupations, uh, whether done by the United States back at the turn of the previous century or other countries, has clearly been established that it doesn't go well. It, It leads to bad things happening, and yet we're repeating that same history. Uh, and uh, you can go through really all of the agenda items uh, that the right has been pushing. They don't say, well, here's, here's an example of something that works in the real world, and we should do it. And to the opposite, they, they, they just say, we're going to ignore history, yeah. we're going to ignore facts, we're going to ignore research, and just do what we think is, uh, is the best thing. Well, and, and the, the thing that you just identified is the consequences for failure I, I think it's important to say here. for me, the consequences of failure for them, obviously I don't think they went into Iraq hoping that it would fail. I, don't, I think that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But I do think that knowing that their constituency, the people that were going to make a lot of money, who right. are making a lot of money, right. the consequences for them has, has been anything but a failure. And I think that to whoever is really running the operation here, which I do think Cheney is more in charge than Bush, is, is, has made a calculated decision that, strategically speaking, they were hoping to, to flip Iraq, although I, th- I think they were always after the oil. But anyway, but all their friends have made money on this thing, and, and there's, their constituency is being satisfied right now. Right, and listen to the Republican presidential candidates. What are they talking about? Yeah. They're talking about, well, we've got to do the same thing in yeah. Iran. Yeah. They're talking about we need to use even more torture uh, than, than Bush has been using. Yeah. They're talking about more tax cuts. They're talking about more uh, uh, curtailment of regulations. It's as though that whole Bush experience is, is unconnected to uh, uh, what their agenda should be. Uh, and that's why I think it's very important for the Democrats who are running for office to really say, look, this is Bush. it's not that Bush was incompetent. It's that he was following an agenda set by the conservative movement. And it, any other people who say they're conservative and are going to follow the same agenda will fail just as surely as he did. Yeah. 
Well, well, Greg Anrich, I want to thank you so much for being here on Weekly Signals, the book, The Conservatives Have No Clothes, Why Right-Wing Ideas Keep Failing. Best of luck to all to you and uh, and the book. Thank you for, for joining us. My pleasure. I had happy Thanksgiving. You happy too. Thanksgiving thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. And this is Weekly Signals.